the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our God is the King of Kings. He has all authority. He has all power. He can do whatever He wants. And our God demonstrated His love. And that while we were still guilty, while we were still sinners, when you see that cross, you can understand that there's nothing you have to do. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. So... I'm no stranger to prison. I know what it's like to be shackled and chained. I know what it's like to be in a courtroom and be declared guilty. I know what it's like to be taken away from my family, be in a prison cell all by myself. I was so angry, angry at myself and just angry at my decisions. Angry at where I had allowed myself to be And I wound up in what they call solitary confinement, where I did about 180 days. This chaplain comes by, and he slides me under the the door, a small Bible. Immediately, in sec, I just kicked it right back to him. Right away, he just pushed it back in. Again, with my foot, I just shoved it back. He stands up, and he looks at me through the small little glass window. I took it in my hand and showed it to him. All the time God was using him just to remind me of something I already knew. I'm a free man, but I was a free man in there. I went to work for the chapel, had church services. We glorified God every day, sometimes louder than we do here. And we had services on the pound, out in the grass. And the only reason why we could do that is because although the world found me guilty, my Jesus called me saved. And this day I'm saved, I'm free, I'm redeemed. I'm so grateful and thankful for this life that God has given me. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Ray Rod, for sharing God's story through you. And every one of us have a story, a way that God has worked in our life as we kind of stand before him and weigh that reality of of where we are. How do we balance our guilt in light of his grace? The the truth is, there are words, there are phrases that that change our lives. And we're going to talk about some of those over the next several weeks, but I I think about this one. Man, here's one that will change your life. I do. Yeah, so when you say those words, I mean, you're expressing a commitment you have to another person for the rest of your life, a relationship. (laughs) This is life-changing. How about this? 
I'm pregnant. Yeah, that, that's life-changing at any moment, but uh, while God's never caught off guard, if it's become unexpected to you, then it's really, really life-changing, isn't it? Uh, big words. Um, how about these words? I want a divorce. And those words not only break a relationship, they can tear apart a family, a community. They're words like these, you're hired, yes, and you want to go buy a house now, or you're fired, and you wonder, how am I going to pay my mortgage? And then there's this phrase, we find the defendant guilty, your honor. I like all the courtroom dramas. Maybe it's because in my plan, I wanted to be a lawyer. I really did. And, and some of you are old enough to remember this. I grew up watching Perry Mason. <laughs> and, and then as I got a little older, man, I loved watching Matlock. I mean, <laughs> so, uh, man, I, I, I wanted to be a, a lawyer. And so to watch these shows where at the end of the trial... The chairman, the foreman of the jury is, is going to declare a verdict. And every time I hear that, I'm reminded that, you know, in our lives, in our eternal existence, a, a verdict will be declared over us. Now, I, I want to set the stage. We've gathered here in a church, so... We, we come recognizing that most who gather here at least profess to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what takes place in the Christian church. Some of you may not yet be there. We believe you're here maybe today for that purpose. And we want to give you that opportunity before this day ends. But for, for those of us who are followers of Christ, what we long for, right, is to hear this. Come on in. <laughs> you were guilty, but I took care of the charges. You're, you're safe. Come on in. Enjoy the benefits and the bounty of heaven. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Isn't that what we want to hear? Yeah, but according to Jesus, not everybody that even thinks they're going to hear that will hear that. Just listen to what he says in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Winter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. All that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name or, or do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, and listen to this verdict, I never knew you. Wow. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so we're diving into what some have called the gospel of Paul, not this Paul, but Paul in the Bible, um, like the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is, some have called it the gospel of Paul. It's, it's the book of Romans in your Bible, the letter that's written to a, a group of Christ followers in Rome, a, a place that Paul had never been. But for those of us who are, are, are somewhat familiar with the scripture, this is like Mount Everest. This is it. I mean, this is... This is all about 
theology. I mean, this book has more about who God is and, and what he does and what that should mean to us. It's a book that's been called soteriological because it, it speaks to our salvation and how we are saved and, and what our salvation should look like and what it means to be saved. Man, this is a great book in the Bible. And in these first few verses in Romans chapter 1, we have kind of an outline of where Paul is going in his letter to the church at Rome. And really, as we end these verses we're about to read today, you're going to see the theme. The theme of this whole letter summed up in, in, in this first chapter, not even halfway through this chapter. And I think this is going to be important for you. Because as you examine God's word here in this first chapter of Romans, I think you're going to see that God has given you something that changes everything. And how you respond to what he's given you makes a huge difference in this world and in your life. Really, the message of Romans is that you have ability to influence the verdict over your life. How you respond to what God has done, it affects that verdict. So let's dive in. And, and so please, 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 this is a place where we regularly use God's Word. So whether you have it on a phone or, or whether you have a copy of the Bible like I do here or however you use it, bring your Bible with you because you really want to dig in and, and make sure I'm not making this stuff up, right? You want to make sure it's real and then find something to, to jot some notes on and get something to write with, a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, your big old thumbs, whatever it is. And, and let's ask God to speak to us through his word. That's what we want. You don't, you don't need a, a speech from a man. You need a word from God. So Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul. <laughs> That's a good place to stop. <laughs> um, I like that name. I'm named after this guy. I really am. My parents named me after Paul in the Bible. And, and so this is Paul, who used to be called Saul, who, who made a name for himself because he hated Christ's followers. So imagine if there were someone today that while we were in here, they were outside with one of those megaphones just talking about how much they hate us and how we're idiots and, and how what we believe is not true. And then as we left this building, uh, imagine that they begin to throw stuff at us and, and cuss at us. I mean, that's the kind of guy that Paul was as he was known as Saul toward Christians. But he met Jesus. Amen. He met Jesus. And it, there's this place in the Bible, in, in Acts chapter 9, it's called the Damascus Road. He comes in contact with the risen Christ, and, and he really falls on his face. And that's what all of us do when we meet Jesus that first time. We recognize that, man, we're, we're nothing before a holy God, and we need him. And, and then we encounter him, and, and then we do as Paul did, and we call him Lord. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. 
we are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Later, Paul would say, one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. And what will they say? They'll say that Jesus Christ is Lord. And and so that's what it means to be a follower of Christ, that he is the Lord, that he's the one who calls the shot. He's the one who makes the decision. He's the one who's the boss. He's the one that determines our our life path, that, that we're not in charge, but that he's the Lord. And so that's the guy that's writing this. His life has been radically changed. And then he gives us a little bit of his resume. He says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And we think of this as Paul the apostle, this biblical giant. But all three of those should be said of every Christ follower, right? You're a servant of Christ. If if we're going to follow Jesus, we live like he lived and. And Jesus said he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. So we live our lives wanting to impact the lives of other people. And then he was an apostle, which literally means to be sent out. And you are to be the sent ones. So in just a few moments, we're going to leave this building. And man, some smart men, way smarter than me, man, they built this building. And it's a great building built by the hands of man, but... We're going to go into a world that God spoke into existence. And that's where you're sent out. So the the purpose is just to come in here and and get encouraged and and get motivated and really to, to get enthused and then to be sent. Your servants who were sent. And then he says, I'm set apart. And guess what? You're supposed to be set apart. You're supposed to be different. And this doesn't just... This isn't just about being legalistic. I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. No, it's not that, but it, it does mean that if Jesus is residing within me, I should be different from this world in which I live. This first verse also tells us what Paul's life and what the book of Romans is all about. He says, I'm set apart for what? The gospel. The gospel. Say the gospel. God wants, if, if you're a follower of Christ, God wants your life to be characterized by the gospel. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So in other words, this is not a new, a new thing. Uh, God, all of the Bible is about God's plan to deliver his people God's grace for his people in different ways. Uh, Concerning the son, it says in verse 3, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of of the faith for the sake of his name among the nations. And and here we, we find really what we're supposed to be living for. 
we, we live our life, it says, for the obedience of the faith. So if you're a Christ follower, your life should be characterized by obedience, not disobedience. That means you should be doing those things that God's Word says, do this. And you should be seeking not to do those things that God says, don't do that. That's the obedient life. And we're going to fail. We're sinners. This side of heaven, we're never going to be perfect. But we're striving for holiness. We're seeking to live in the obedience of the faith. Why? For the sake of his name. Right? When we're different, then people see Maybe there's something to this God. But not just for the sake of his name. For the sake of his name among all the nations. Say all the nations. nations. Do you realize how many nations there are? I I was in an Uber in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm talking to this guy. And I'm beginning to talk to him about where he's from. And he he mentions the name of his country. And I'm like, what would you say? And he mentions it again. I'm like, no, no, say it again real slow. And he said it again. And I finally said, I've never heard of that country. Do you realize there are nations you've never heard of? And yet we live in a multicultural world. And and we're in a multi-ethnic church. I mean, we've got people from 60 or 70 nations right here in our church. Isn't that awesome? That's pretty cool. But that's not even close to the number of nations and the number of people groups in the world. Because even in some nations, like when I go to Nigeria, I I realize, man, there's a bunch of different languages, a a bunch of different people groups in that one country. And in our world now, there are 17,433 different people groups. That's a lot. 60 or 70, I mean, we're not even scratching the surface. But here's what's crazy. Of all those people groups... There are 7,418 of them that we consider they're unreached. There's no prevalent presence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's there's no presence of, of, of gospel churches like this that are known and making a difference in their community. 7,418 people groups. You know how many people that is? That's 3.29 billion people. A lot of us grew up in Christian, Christian America. And we don't realize that from the beginning, 2,000 years ago, when, when the gospel began to be preached, the whole purpose of the preaching of the gospel was to get the message to the nations. We think about those people groups, and the reality is there are 3,050 people groups. That's 278 million people who are not only unreached, they're unengaged. Nobody's even trying to, to tell them the story of Jesus. Let me just tell you something. We're not becoming more reached in our country. We're becoming less reached. And so when we hear a verse that says, man, this is about getting the message out for the obedience of the faith, for the sake of his name, to the nations, then our ears better perk up because we recognize there's a lot of people in a lot of nations that never have heard the gospel. And remember our premise, the premise is most of us, we say we're Christians. So we say, yeah, I've got it. I got it. I'm good. 
And yet this is part of our responsibility. And so I begin to wonder, when will we become uncomfortable with the reality that billions of people are literally dying without Christ and headed into an eternity in a place the Bible calls hell while we just are content with with kind of a good show on Sunday mornings. It's not the way it should be. Well, we're just trying to read his introduction. And so he... um, He says, verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Christ. So you who are living in obedience to the faith and who are, uh, for the sake of the name of Jesus, trying to get the gospel to the nations, that's you. And to all those in Rome who are loved by God and are called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So here he is. Paul has never been to Rome, but he's saying, man, everybody's talking about y'all. Your church is on fire. I mean, you guys are alive for Jesus. You've got a reputation. And that just reminds me, we've all got a reputation. What's your faith reputation? People you work with, people in your neighborhood, your classmates, your teammates. They probably know you're here, maybe. Where does your faith reputation extend beyond that? For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So just so you know the story, Paul has longed to go to Rome. He's been all over the known world, but he's never made it to Rome, which was the New York City, uh, the Paris, France, the London, England of that day. I mean, it was the place. And he's saying, so I've just prayed nonstop. And, and so I would just ask you, What's the last thing you've prayed for without ceasing? Is it anything related to getting the gospel to the nations? Or is it more about, oh, I've prayed without ceasing that I'd get a better job. Or I've prayed without ceasing that I wouldn't have the pain I have. Or I've prayed without ceasing that I'd have a nicer house or a bigger car. (laughs) Paul understood that there was power in prayer and that prayer power could be used to accomplish the purpose for which God had left him here. Do you believe that? That was not a rhetorical question. Do you believe there's power in prayer? So, um, last weekend I was preaching to these college students in northern New York, and I started looking at the map. My flight didn't leave until Monday, and I realized I am next to Vermont. And that just sounds cool. Vermont. I mean, I think somewhere up here is where Bob Newhart used to have a bed and breakfast. I mean, this is a cool place. And and so I decided to go over and spend a night in Vermont. And then I got to thinking, this is where so much of our religious heritage in this country was birthed and uh, the great awakenings and and many of the movements of God, like the Ivy League schools that we have today, like Prince of Yale, Harvard, those started as divinity schools. I mean, God's word was powerful in that region that now is very dark. 
And so I began to Google, what are some places I could visit? And I found that there was a town, Williamston, Massachusetts, just below Vermont, that if I went there, there was a college called Williams College that had been there a long time. And in 1806, on the campus of Williams College, there were five students, five college students, that in the midst of a thunderstorm, hid under a haystack and began to pray and say, God, would you use us for your glory for the nation's and five guys began to pray and say, God, our yes is on the table. Whatever you want us to do. And you can go there now, and there's a monument at Williams College in Williamson, Massachusetts, to those five guys. Why? Because as a result of that prayer, five guys, not a church full of people, five guys, as a, not the hamburger place. As a result of the prayer of five guys, the modern missions movement was born. So for those of us that are a little familiar with church, names like William Carey or Adonai Judson or, or Lottie Moon, we wouldn't know those names had these individuals not prayed and said, God, with open hands and an open heart, our yes is on the table. So that's what we're going to do right now. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.